Hey, Crystal. Hey, Joseph. Do you want to talk about why people aren't getting married? Could we do it with Pete Barak from Renewal Ministries? Yes, we can. Listen in to find out more. Welcome to A Word from Our Outpost. With Joseph and Crystal Gruber. A podcast for Catholic disciples who are wrestling to be missionary-minded in their normal, everyday lives. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Direct, O Lord, our actions by thy holy inspiration, and carry them on by thy gracious assistance, that every word and work of ours may begin in thee, and by thee be happily ended. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Hey, Crystal. Hey, Joseph. Hey, Pete. Hey, guys. Thanks for joining us today, Pete. Oh, this is this is exciting. I love podcasting, and I think we're going to have fun. So that's going to be great. I'm looking forward to it. Pete, would you start by telling us, or telling our audience a little bit about who you are and what, how you like to spend your time? <laughs> sure. So uh, first and foremost, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. I fell in love with him when I was about eight years old and really met him and gave my life to him and been raised Catholic and kind of been trying to follow that path and follow him ever since. Not perfectly by any means, but he is definitely uh, the Lord of my life. And then I am married to a beautiful woman named Kate for the last 12 years. Um, we met at Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio. She was the point guard on the women's basketball team and I was the point guard on the men's basketball team. Uh, love and basketball worked out pretty well. And uh, we have five wonderful children we love. We love them constantly. We like them most of the time. And uh, we've got three girls, two boys. Oldest is uh, soon to be 12 and the youngest is 20 months. And, and then I work for an organization called Renewal Ministries. I'm the vice president and we do Catholic renewal and evangelization all over the world, preaching, teaching, forming, wherever we're invited. We try to just help people become disciples. And and then what do I like to do for fun? Well, I, I don't know. I haven't done a lot of that in a long time in the sense of most of my life is, and I'm joyful about this, but hear me, like I'm, this is not complaining, but most of my life is consumed by what the children consider fun, um, which generally speaking, I also find pretty fun, but I have recently discovered pickleball uh, uh -huh, yeah. and, and it's, it's, it's a bit of a problem how much I enjoy it. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's a thing. So I, anybody that I know that plays pickleball is worried about being addicted to pickleball. It's addiction's a strong word, but it probably <laughs> applies in this case. Like I think about it and like an, an unusual amount of time is consumed by my desire to both play, improve strategy. It's, it's bizarre. I, it came on suddenly. I don't know where it came from, but I played it. And then all of a sudden it's like, I want to do this every day, which I don't, but I would love to. So, yeah. So pickleball anyway. <laughs> yeah. So that you didn't expect that, but that as uh, you asked what I'm enjoying these days, and that has very much been a part of our life. And my my wife would love to uh, join me in that. She's super competitive, and so she's she's ready to get better as well. So we'll see. Once the weather turns a little bit, it'll be interesting to see how much it consumes our family life. But uh, yeah, so those those are the those are the highlights of Pete Burak these days. One question: Do your children yes. play basketball yet? Yes, they're all required to try it at least once. Uh, they don't have to like it. Uh, they don't have to keep playing it, but they do have to try it. And so far, the top three have all tried it and enjoyed it and are playing it. And are, we, we coach most of their teams. And so actually every Saturday morning right now is consumed from about 8 a.m. to about 1 p.m. of games in the gym. And and the, the younger kids seem to be fascinated with it and distracted by it and so far it hasn't been too much of a burden and growing up around the game for both my wife and I this it's we love it I mean the the sights the smells the whole thing is it's just part of our DNA so it's not a it's not a burden for us that's interesting you know when you said that I thought well that does not sound like how I would want to spend my Saturday after mornings but then I thought well I grew up skiing with as much like tons, mm. lots, lots of time at the ski hill. And I thought, but I would love to spend that time at the ski hill. And so now I'm realizing like, oh, if that's what you grew up doing and you love doing it, it makes sense that it would be super fun to do it as a family. So that's awesome. So if we wanted to take- Yeah, it's pretty wild to consider. Oh, I'm sorry, Go Joseph. Ahead. 
No, no, go ahead. No, it's just, it's kind of wild to consider, you know, like I hadn't actually really thought of it that way until he said it, but, you know, from the age of basically six for me, from six until 23, I basically every single day did something with basketball. So there were, so kind of resetting that with my children has been, it's been an interesting dynamic because it's not me who's playing obviously, but, uh, it, it, it's almost like putting on an old coat. It's like, Oh, I forgot I had that coat. And you put it on, you're like, Oh, it's still as warm and comfortable as ever. Uh, and very familiar. Um, so yeah, it's, I hadn't really thought about it that way before, but you're right. It, it, it is amazing how quickly you can kind of snap into something that you once loved. Okay, so I think maybe this is where you were going to go, Joseph, because this is a really neat segue into what we wanted to talk about. It was, yeah. Um, so you're we're just we're talking about like life that you share with somebody in the context of marriage, and then you get to share that, you get to multiply it with your children. And I mean, basketball is an example of how that's like being lived out with the Buracks. But something that that Joseph and I have been really exploring as we've been growing our marriage ministry is understanding that life is worth living life is worth sharing and life is worth multiplying. And what we're seeing in the culture today is people aren't getting married. People don't think life is worth sharing, let alone multiplying. Um, And so that's kind of, I think the heart of what we really wanted to spend some time talking with you about today, Pete, of like, why aren't people getting married? What is going on? You know? Yeah. What, what, what do you see about this? What are your thoughts about it? And then solutions. Because yes. if we ended with, like, what's the problem? That's an easy podcast, Pete. Solutions, that's the, that's actually the reason why people would want to continue listening, I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, maybe, I, I can't wait to talk about this because it's going to be a fun conversation and there's going to be lots of different ways, angles we can go. But I'm, I'm curious, Joseph, remind me, how long have you two been married? And like, as you started the ministry that you're running, uh, what what is the conceptual framework that would define even what you just said in the sense of like, you? I, I love the three things you just laid out, Crystal, like that's really good. Could you give me a little bit more of like where that came from? Because I would love to be able to speak into that, but I'm I'm actually, my brain's like thinking about those three things as a, as a construct for it. And I'd love to hear a little bit more of where that came from. Yeah. So we've been married. I, I'd have to consult a calendar, I think 20 odd years. 11. We've been married 11 years. This is Joseph's bit. <laughs> He'll be right on average, God willing. Anyway, we've been married. That's awesome. Uh, the, the marriage ministry, so we have different aspects of it. Some of it is preparing people for marriage, and we've been focusing a lot on how to prepare pe- single people to date well. So we think yeah, okay. that's actually holding a lot of people up. That's where a lot of people are making some very basic mistakes. And then uh, the bulk of our effort is on marriage enrichment. So those couples who are married, how to help them to live out the fullness of the sacrament of matrimony. Mm -hmm. Um, And then where we got the life is worth living, sharing, multiplying. Um, Have you ever read uh, Survey Pinker's, um, what was it called? Morality, the Catholic View? I haven't. Okay. He's got a longer book that I have not read called The Sources of Christian Morality. Um, But he talks in the end about the natural law and how the natural law is, can be articulated as inclining us toward different things. So the most basic of which is do good and avoid evil. And that's the sum of the natural law. But then you can also kind of particularize this, and he's drawing this from the first part of the second part of the Summa, question 94, article 2, where Aquinas is talking about these inclinations in the natural law based on the fact that we partake of the vegetative, the animal, the rational. And so based on the purely vegetative aspect, the, the desire to maintain oneself and even to pursue excellence, and then the, the sort of animal, um, the, the desire to procreate, and educate our children, and then, um, and that's where you get the, the sharing and the multiplying, and then the rational, the the fact that we're made for truth and that we're made for a, commu- a real communion with others. Mm. Um, but yeah, to express some aspects of the natural law it, that we 
basically need to understand that life is worth living. The Fulton Sheen line, the Fulton Sheen title of his you know, radio show and then TV broadcast, Life is Worth Living. Um, but then to take that another step, it's also worth sharing. And then to take that the third step, it's also worth multiplying. Is that helpful? Super helpful. I love that. Um, so many thoughts that come to mind regarding this in terms of now Crystal's question of like, well, why aren't people getting married? You know, and I think we can unpack that in a few different ways. My first inclination is that uh, our generation, so we'll just say, let's just say everyone under the age of 40 is basically held captive by the effectiveness of the sexual revolution. So the the seeds that were, were planted and watered in the 60s and 70s have really come to full maturity and fruitfulness, if you will, in our generation. So when you introduce into a culture, in a society, the no-fault divorce and contraception and abortion, and you start to, you could see with the living, sharing, and multiplying, all three of those right there, abortion, life isn't like sacred enough to allow to, to let live, sharing, contraception, I'm actually not going to share my full self with you, and then multiplying, again, contraception, um, or and even you could apply that to the divorce culture where part of what happens in a stable family is the multiplication of that DNA of that family into a cohesive extended family unit, which for sure uh, the nuclear family is in many ways the building block of all culture, but the extended family unit is also an absolutely essential component of the flourishing of children and the flourishing of life, that if you don't have a, a tribe experience, not tribal or tribalistic, but like this, a people that I'm running with that are not limited to simply just my spouse and my kids, but there are grandparents, multiple generations, aunts, uncles, friends, this, this tribe experience. Um, it, when you break down all of those things, what you're left with is uh, our generation who don't understand really why life is worth living just at a fundamental level because they we've actually been raised in a culture of death so death is actually seen as a great good it's it's the it's the pathway to liberation in order for me to be free i have to be able to kill my my baby and in order for me to be accomplished i have to be in order for me to live i have to there has to be death in this in this case or and then at the end of life stuff where you're seeing more and more instances of like it's not, why would you want to live in any sort of diminished state when you could just take this this pill and be done with it? You're not a burden to your family. You're not a burden to the society, all that type of stuff. So we're, we're formed in, why, I don't know why, I'm, why life is worth living because I've been formed in a culture of death. I don't know why life is worth sharing because everything has been made about me. I'm the center of the universe. I'm the protagonist of my story. My feelings, my desires are the most important thing and actually the source of truth for me and basically everyone else. As long as my my truth doesn't impede too much on yours, we can live in this weird kind of nebulous state next to each other where your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth, and my truth is actually based on how I feel. It's not based on some sort of rational thought. It's not based on natural law or some institution's understanding of truth. It's whatever I feel deeply enough makes it true. I, I feel therefore I am, right? And then multiplying is, I mean, uh, there's this trend right now on, on TikTok and Instagram of of this you know this term a dink. Have you seen this? Uh, it stands for D I N K. It stands for dual income, no kids. And these these couples who are either married or just in like some sort of long term relationship with each other, they're sharing their income, and, and it's it's ironic because it's such a twisting of this. They they are seemingly living because their, their life is full and they're doing all these experiences and they are seemingly sharing because they have a dual income and they're, they're in some sort of committed relationship with each other, but they're not doing that final multiplying step. And they're just celebrating the freedom and the, we get to, you know, stay up as late as we want we can take trips to Europe and we can drink wine at two o'clock in the afternoon. And we don't, you know, I'm not waking up and dealing with vomit. And like, there's all these ways that they're trying to present this as like, Oh, we've discovered the really the best way to live in your 20s and 30s, which is live with each other, kind of have this full, robust life, share resources to make it even more robust, but not with the burden 
well, not with the ball and chain of not not a relationship. The ball and chain isn't a relationship. It's children. Um, and so th- those are my initial thoughts of just like, yeah, it's not a it's not so much a wonder that we're here because this was the very project that the the leaders of the sexual revolution in the 60s sought to see happen. And now and it worked. I mean, our culture has has totally bought the lie. Boom. That was very succinct way uh yeah that was neat to see that that pull i haven't thought about it in context of the impact of the sexual revolution um but everything that you said i'm like yep 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 i agree um oh go ahead no no you go i insist okay so pete do you think like the architects of the sexual revolution had this in mind that there would be you know this generation of uh, almost enforced narcissism that allows our culture to just peter out. It, it, like, what what was the end goal here? Well, I mean, I think the 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 originator or the the thought leader of the sexual revolution was the, the evil one. Uh-huh. So I think it it came right out of hell. Okay. And what's the the evil one's desire is to rebel and destroy God. And since he can't do that, he wants to destroy God's beloved creation. And what is a more effective way to destroy what God has set in motion than the archetype of, of God, that being the family and at the center of that, the the union of a, a man and a woman. And so the sexual revolution, I think initially started to really try to destroy, um, marriage and the family from a sense of uh, separating sex and the effects of sex from from marriage and de-incentivizing why why what why should I get married like I can have as much sex as I want and I can still live with this person and and the culture doesn't there wasn't any kind of faux pas as, uh, associated with that anymore and, and at the end of the day the outside of a moral incentive the incentive to commit to somebody um, other than like your taxes um, became really it was all decentralized and deconstructed. And then what has unfolded in the last, let's just call it like 15 to 20 years is while that was very effective, uh, they're going further and they're really trying to destruct the person. Um, and now we're, now we don't even know what a man or a woman is anymore, you know? And so now how could we talk about marriage if, if we can't even identify what our biological forms are, revealing to us about who we are and what we're made for. And so you can, I, I think you can, I don't know if I want to give full credit to like some of the early thinkers in the sixties to say like they anticipated in 2024 that, you know, all the various applications of what we're describing at the same time, there's a very twisted logical flow of what, when you start to introduce concepts like contraception, it, it does lead to it, the whole slippery slope adage is, is, appropriate it just conditions people to be more and more comfortable and willing to move further and further away from the truth yeah yeah satan uh he doesn't like us this is a this is something we have to come back to again and again my wife and i it's like i don't like it when people don't like me and yet this guy just won't like me ever mm, there's no ever. winning with him yeah often at times <laughs> when we like are sensing a discord between the two of us one of us will stop and be like satan hates what we're doing it just that like remember that like excuse me the evil one is like trying to sow swords of discord between the two of us and that 98 percent of the time the second we recognize that we're able to get back on the same page very quickly there might be real discord that we can address but but the fact of the matter is the evil one is like trying to niggle in there in a way that's not necessary. For sure. I mean, one of the things he hates the most is when we, uh, I mean, he hates humility. I mean, that is one of the most abhorrent things to him is the the humble person. And so in moments of discord, often somewhere in, at least I'll just speak for our marriage, in moments of discord, there's usually some through line of pride or kind of self concern uh why didn't you know to do this or why did you say it this way or why didn't you acknowledge that i did this you know there's some sort of thing which 
when we live in a world that says I'm right, what I feel is true, then like that there's like reinforcement. There's reinforcement for that. There's not room for humility for like I'm not right, which means there's a whole lot of space for the evil one to just work his little way and and stay there. Mm-hmm. And where that goes really in a, a very interesting and but very problematic way is when your feelings become you. They, they become foundational to your identity. Then when somebody disagrees or kind of, um, yeah, identifies a way that they would disagree with your feelings or would even introduce reason to show why your feelings are irrational, it's not, it takes it from a, the realm of like, well, we can discuss this rationally to a personal attack. You are now attacking my identity. You are, you're, you're hateful towards me and therefore you should be shut down because it's a hateful thing to attack somebody's identity. And so what we see in, at least I would imagine your marriage and our marriage, like, because we're all, we're, we're living hopefully more and more in a transformed mind. We can have moments of like, okay, this emotion is real, but it doesn't mean it wins. And I've heard it it's said before that, you know, emotions are, and feelings are absolutely wonderful companions on the journey of life. They are like necessary mates along the way but they are horrible leaders like you never want to be led by your feelings you need to you need to recognize them you need to acknowledge that they're there you need to kind of give them their due but you never want to give them authority and that is completely flipped in our society it's it is i am i am how i feel if i feel it deeply enough it makes it true and if it makes it true for me then it needs to make it true for you and if you don't agree with me it's because you hate me it's not because you have some sort of reasoned explanation. It's you just, you must hate me and therefore you're evil. And therefore I should either shut you down, cancel you, ignore you, whatever. Yeah, so this strips away the whole foundation of sharing life with somebody authentically through the good and the bad. Uh, like the, the, the three kinds of friendship that Aristotle lays out, the, the virtuous friend, the true friend, that is, than the ones based on pleasure and then the ones based on use. Like this is saying that everything has to be based on pleasure, that it, it has to be an emotionally united reason. Like th- this, this has to be the, the foundation in which case I only love somebody insofar as they make me feel good. And right. I, I will only wish their good only insofar as their good helps me to feel better. And that's just, that's an insufferable way to live with someone. It's a great way to spend an hour or two with someone, but. So this is interesting because I don't know, you've, I'd be interested to see if you have the same experience, Pete, but one of the questions we get asked most frequently when we talk about dating and just talking to young adults in, in, in general is how do I know if they're the one, right? This idea of the one. And it, it's almost like the question is, is like, how do I know that somebody will always be able to please me? Right? Like it's a very selfish, selfish question. And, and if we have this idea that like, oh, I, I sh- if somebody doesn't acknowledge my internal reality and feelings perfectly, or somebody makes a feeling come up within me that is negative, then yeah, they hate me, they're no good for me, then it's like, well, nobody's going to be the one. Nobody's going to fit into that. Whereas if we're willing to understand like, oh, if when I, when you do something that I find uncomfortable or hurtful, like I can talk to you about that and we can have a conversation and we can both do better next time or at least try to and learn. So... Okay, so we're. I feel like we're like wrapping our hands around the problem, mm-hmm. and and this idea of like, oh well, my truth is my own truth. Like we're talking about part of the problem is this is like it's it's re, it's a very insipid lie that seems almost impossible to overcome. I'm sure that it's not because Jesus rose people from the dead, but I feel like <laughs> we need like that. That's the bar well, for a solution here. And I think because the problem is now so widespread, and the so we've we've mentioned this before, I think, on this podcast that at our current parish for the year 2024, in the year of our Lord, 2024, they have zero weddings scheduled. Wow. Which is very few, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. 
and, and this is Hot not, take. yeah, yeah. And it, it's, it's not as if the parish that we belong to is atypical. And this has been something that's been happening more and more. My, I, you know, 11 years ago when we got married, we looked into uh, my old home parish to see if it was available around when we wanted it. And they said, it you know, what, what date do you want? They're, they're all free. <laughs> the cathedral, on the other hand, was like full house, you know, two, three weddings a weekend. But that those were like that. That's a different that's a different beast. But the like home parish in general that used to also have a pretty booked schedule did not. Yeah, widespread problem. Very, very yeah. and it, uh, uh, pervasive. And it's so pervasive. I think even in talking to young people that like are are really trying to be faithful, practicing Catholics, they are still like not able to date and are very skittish about dating. And they are like you. I can see the infection in them, even though they've like are doing things to fight against it. Like they're just like don't see how wormy this is because they don't know what to do yeah right well yeah there's so much to unpack there because i got some i have some hot takes on some of that stuff of i'd love like, a hot take or two yeah it i i i rarely have met a young adult who doesn't actually know what to do it's just whether or not they have the conviction and the the discipline and the willingness to sacrifice something else for this thing they say is really important to them mm-hmm. because every Darn near every human being I know has plenty of time for the things they care about. Um, I am very busy, objectively. If you look at my calendar, there are lots of things on it, and I rarely ever miss a Michigan football game. Like I, I, and it because I love it, and it's it's leisure, and it's fun, and I enjoy it, and I am willing to sacrifice real things, time, my talent my treasure for Michigan football. So there is, there is such a annoying mindset. If I can say it that way, uh, a lot of people who are like, you know, I, 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 I don't have time to date. It's like, well, I don't know if that's true. That might be true, but I, I, I don't take it at face value anyway, most of the time anymore. But again, part of what it, what we're talking about though is, what do I feel about something? So when I think about dating, I feel anxious. I feel overwhelmed. I feel like it's going to be hard. I feel like I don't know what to say. I don't. I I feel like it's just this this thing, this problem that I I can't solve. So because I've been so conditioned to validate and be kind of held captive by my feelings, then well, then it must be true. Dating must be hard because I feel like it's hard. Dating must be. Um, beyond my ability because I, I don't know. I just, I don't know how to feel about it. And and so we get wrapped up in this, this thing, which in some ways is completely understandable and not a young person's fault because so much of dating and flirting and courtship and marriage is something that, that society has to pass down. It's not necessarily intrinsic to a young person's life to understand what holy virtuous relationships look like. I mean, think about that. What, what 13 year old, 14 year old, 15 year old, 16 year old boy or girl is even close to being capable of what we would consider a healthy uh, male, female, long-term committed marital relationship. I mean, they're, they're so far beyond that. And we know that we're there. And that's that's okay. They're, they shouldn't be expected to be ready. But part of the the project of society and part of the project of adults in the society is to create the guardrails and the understandings and the expectations that then lead them to the fulfillment of this hormonal explosion that's going on in them. They have all this desire. Great. But desire alone doesn't mean it's ready or perfect or purified or even good yet. The desire is is neutral when it comes. It's more of how are you going to express that desire? And so it's it's understandable that a 15-year-old boy could get massively trapped in pornography because he has this desire for self-gift and he has this desire for the fulfillment of his sexual identity. And if society says, great, actually, 
here's every website you can imagine with no constraints and you you have a, a laptop in your computer and you, as long as it's late enough at night, your parents aren't going to know, then it's no wonder that a young man would get completely captivated by that because he has no, he hasn't been formed in the skills and the the, the character really to be able to navigate those desires. And so then if that continues for years and years and years, all of a sudden you have a 28-year-old guy who um, is still kind of trapped in a, he's a 28-year-old man, but with a 15-year-old desire set <laughs> and skill set in order to channel that desire set. And on one angle, you could look at it and be like, grow up, man. Like, it's time to to own this. But on the other angle, it's like, man, I have an incredible amount of empathy because if you haven't been formed in it, if you haven't been challenged in it, if you haven't been, if something hasn't been bestowed on you in this process, then, um, yeah, that my heart breaks because that it's just, it's understandable how you could get to that place. Yeah. So do you have the solution then? <laughs> Jesus. Okay. Catholic yeah. school answered everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I want to go back to something Crystal said, which how do you know you're the the person's the one? I, I think in that question is so important if you force the person to finish it a little bit more of like, how do I know they're the one dot, 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 the one for what? Yeah. Or like, how, how do you complete that question? Is it, how do I know they're the one for me? Well, that's pretty revealing as to how you're thinking about it. How do I know they're the one that I can spend the rest of my life with? Okay. That's actually still also very revealing about how you're looking at it. How do I know they're the one that I'm, I long to give to like give myself to, 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 to serve and to lay down my life for, if that's the question you're asking, we can have a conversation. Yeah. You know, like if, if, if your mindset is I, I need help finding the person that I can die for, that I can, I remember right after um, Gracie, our firstborn was born, my dad was in the waiting room uh, and I came out and we celebrated and he gave me a, a hug and he said, welcome to the dead man's club. And what he meant by that was like, you know, with, in marriage, your life is not your own, but with children, your life is really not your own. You have officially died to this, this person. And he had this big smile on his face and it was like, it's the club that all men are kind of hire, hardwired to be a part of, whether, whether you're a priest or a husband, we're hardwired to, to, to give, to die, to, to expend ourselves for others. Right. Yeah. And, and it's just like, if that's, if that's what you're desiring, if that's what the Lord is forming you and that's what, or better yet, if that's what you're pursuing, even if you're not fully there yet, because most of us aren't until, you know, the occasion for it arises, uh, then we can have a conversation about, okay, well then how do we move about courtship? If it's still more about like, how do I, who's going to fulfill me? Who's going to be the right person for me? Then there, that's revealing to me a, an unresolved uh, problem or wound around that self that self again like uh, the self-concern the the emotional side of things that again is understandable but often uh, neuters the ability to find that person because what you're really searching for is your your identity in somebody else and that either will you'll never find or you'll find somebody who seems to kind of give you what you want in your identity but then it won't be founded on the right stuff and that's why divorce is so rampant yeah, I love that to have people sort of finish. Don't let that be the end where the question mark stands, but say like fill in this. I'm totally gonna steal that. <laughs> Good. I think that's a, a really helpful way to to put it because I think we we've have you know have thought through and talked about a lot of like what are the reasons why you might be asking this question. Um, yeah, that what. Let's not let that be the question. Let's fill in some more. I think is a really helpful way to consider where my own heart stands and how to move forward from there for a person. If they're saying like, hey, actually, I kind of want to get married, but I've got this question, like, how do I know the person is right for me? Or how do I, how, how do I know they're the one to, to say like, okay, how do I know they're the one, like you said, for me that I can die for that I can, you know, like that I can share life with, like finishing that question and, and growing in maturity of what that can look like is a really neat, um, at least way to get thoughts going for a person. Yeah. Yeah. And I know for my own life, like 
there was a big moment in my junior year of college where I, or right before my junior year, where I, I felt like I really discerned that the Lord was inviting me to to be married, which even that statement alone says a lot, right? <clears throat> like I had a relationship with Jesus. I was, I wanted to do his will and my, the fulfillment of his plan for my life was his decision that I wanted to participate in, um, that I wanted to be obedient to, but just fundamentally is, is a posture that changes the whole dynamic of you're the Lord and I am not. And so, and I believe that you can, you not only can, but want to reveal to me what you've made me for. And so in, as I had made that determination to pursue marriage, uh, and then when I met Kate and we started to to show interest in each other and <clears throat> that was all fun, what what started to develop, which was very startling, was the first time I'd ever been in a relationship or in some sort of romantic scenario where I realized, wow, she loves me as much as I love her. And I I love her a lot. <clears throat> and she loves me the same amount. Every other relationship I'd ever been in, it was somebody liked or loved kind of the other person more, whereas like I was more interested than the girl was or the girl was more interested in me. There was some discord in levels of affection and um, care for each other. And I found myself just being like overwhelmingly preoccupied with how to bless her, love her, serve her, uh, just give of myself to her. And what was so startling was not only was she receptive to it, but she 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 desired more of it and the more she desired of it i didn't find that annoying the more i wanted to give and and then she was in turn doing the same turning around and kind of laying down her life for me and i didn't find that annoying i didn't find that pushy i didn't find that clingy i found that remarkably refreshing and the more i responded to it the more she wanted to and so that like if you'd asked me like how did you know she was the one eventually what it came to is i actually heard the lord i felt like i heard the lord in prayer say this one you know, like I discerned it, but that was part of a broader context of like, whoa, there was a, there was a harmony, there was a synergy that far, so far transcended feelings. I mean, the feelings were there, of course, like so many feelings, but <laughs> that was not the basis of what convinced me of anything. It was, yeah, the feelings were there, but whoa, look at, the, look at what our life looks like together. Look at the way that, see how they love each other. It was like, Wow this is, um, this is really different, you know? And so that's not going to be, obviously, that's not like just a template that anyone could follow in the exact same way, but it, there's principles embedded in everything I just said that, that absolutely can be applied to other people's circumstances. Yeah, that was awesome. Thank you. So I'm, I'm feeling a little torn because part of me wants to like unpack that a little bit and talk about some of those principles, but there's one other point that I I'd like to get to, and I feel like we're running out of time, which is, I'm interested in in discussing a little bit like the long view because I think a lot of times when people are thinking about marriage or thinking about having children they're thinking about like the right now right this is cuz it's this is our feelings are happening right now and I had this moment I don't remember if I shared it on the podcast or not but I was sitting at a table um with Joseph and some of his brothers and his mom, and they were having this really wonderful philosophical conversation. And I looked at his mom and I was like, man, when you like were with like all these like little boys, did you think about like getting to sit with like adult men having this awesome conversation? And she was like, no, I was just trying to get through the day. You know, but for me, I think about that all the time when I'm with these little people and I'm struggling with my own selfishness and my own sin. I'm like, someday they're going to be adults. And if I do my job well now, they're going to be the coolest adults I've ever hung out with. And, and this like long view. And then I had this lady come up to me after a particularly challenging day at mass with the kids. And she's like, I'm, I don't remember. She said she was 80 or 90, but she said, you know, I've got nine kids and they just bless me and take such good care of me all the time now. And like, it's totally worth it. And you're going to get through this. And just that, like, you know, when I'm 35 and getting to trek around the world, and not have kids and I'm like, woo, celebrating all these fun things. I'm not thinking, okay, but when I'm 75, I'm going to be lonely and I'm going to have nobody to take care of me. And like, not only am I not going to have my own kids to take care of me, but there will, doesn't matter how much money I have, I will not be able to hire help 
to take care of me because nobody is having kids. And there's just mm-hmm. no thought towards that. And so, yeah, so I guess I've, I've gone down this train now. Do you, ha- do you think that like... Yeah, you're the, pretty well committed to this train at this point. Do you think that the like the lack of the long view is something that we consider? Is it part of a solution or is it just part of the problem? No, I mean, I think one of the consistent themes of Christianity is that we live kind of in three directions. We acknowledge the past and we are grateful for it and we learn from it. We live very much in the moment with the people that we're called to to be around and serve in this exact moment because in some ways that's all we actually have is this this moment. But then we never lose sight of the eternal perspective. We never lose sight of what the Lord will do kind of at the macro level and what what that means for us at the micro level. I mean, the saints are, you know, preoccupied with their death, you know, because they know that they're made for something more. And so I think it's, it's extremely, it's, it's, it's one of the marks of uh, a transformed mind that St. Paul talks about to be able to live in all three phases in a way that is consolidated and is harmonized in one coherent person you know, where you don't find somebody just pining for high school. Oh, high school was the greatest. It's like, well, that's not healthy. And you don't find somebody who's so like consumed by the here and now that they can't see anything that's coming. That's not healthy. And nor is it, oh, it'll be better someday. Like if we could just get through the phases of of potty training, then it'll be better, you know, because those, you know, the cares and concerns for today are enough because the cares and concerns for tomorrow will be enough. Um, but your your point's well taken, Crystal. That kind of out in culture, the futures futures. Who wants to think about the future in some ways? Because like I don't want to consider my own death. That that that's so morbid. That's so that's not fun. That's like who who wants to think about that? It's like in some ways all we have is the here and now. So we'll worry about that when we we have to worry about that. I, it kind of causes me anxiety to think about it anyway. So I'll just I'll just you know. I'll just focus on the here and now. And it, and it feeds into that kind of narcissistic uh, feeling-based reality of like, I, the delayed gratification is also not something that we are very good at. You know, we are not as a culture, you know, I get annoyed right now if my Amazon package doesn't arrive the next day. I'm kind of, I just start saying things I don't even understand. I'm like, you know, oh, we're sales funnel. And like I say all these things like infrastructure, Why? what's happening here, you know, supply chain. And I don't even get it, but I'm like annoyed that it's not there, you know, the next day. So this idea that something could could take time and build and the the fruit or the the validation of something would come in a year, five years, 10 years, 30 years, that's um, that's not something that most of us kind of value right now. Yeah, so delayed gratification, certainly not part of our culture. Uh, but I think the way that you set it up, Crystal, is that you're saying people are selfish now. Couldn't we just take them that little step and help them be selfish about how they will be? And I think that's an... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, well, I, I'm not even sure if that's going to do it because it's still just an appeal to their own self-interest. It's just projecting it into the future. And like fundamentally, yeah. if... If somebody's only concerned about themselves now unto the end of their life, that still will make them insufferable yeah. to live with and, and still will make the whole raising of children a chore that just has no upside. Well, and to to earlier on in our conversation, I was also realizing like, oh, well, if, if this is like I only want life when it's fun, then you're actually not going to want to live when you're that age when you need somebody to take care of you and then it's really handy that we're popularizing euthanasia yeah which is really terrifying and awful to think about yeah dun, dun, dun. yeah it's almost like what we actually need is a transcendent source of truth <laughs> who is himself loving us and giving us that which we need so that we can be secure in our identity in that transcendent other well, and maybe back to to Pete, your point. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is the the. I I agree with all that has been said, and have only to add, like what you described of like that discernment process with your your now wife, Pete, of like loving each other. Well, there's there's an entering into the transcendent in that kind of mm-hmm. 
being mutual gift to each other and mutual relationship and how beautiful that is. And, and we like, as you were describing, I was like, oh man, like, well, I already wanted to meet your wife and hang out with you guys. But like, there's like, we, right. We want to be around people that have that kind of relationship with each other. We want to share life with people like that. And I think that that's a really beautiful way to encourage people to get married is to like, let them see our lives <laughs> and let, like lo- love each other well and, and share that with people. Maybe. No, I mean, to that point, why would I want to enter into an institution that fails at the epic rate that it does? Why would I <clears throat> want to shackle myself to someone when it becomes a ball and a chain, when it limits my freedom, when, it, when all of a sudden sex becomes boring because this is the same person every time. Like there, there's so many narratives that have emerged to to validate people's perspective towards marriage that one of the antidotes to that is something that's more caught than taught it's like i want to give you access to my life and instead of telling you marriage is great um i want to show you and 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 the only way you can see it is if i grant you access to it you know and this is just another way to understand discipleship like discipleship requires accessibility between the person who's further ahead who's trying to lead somebody into something and so um one of the things we've felt from the very beginning of our marriage and family life was we were just going to we have basically what we call an open door policy where people know they can come over basically anytime uh and very few people have actually taken up us on it on the like completely random, but it, there have been a few times where people just like doorbell rings and it's like, somebody's like, Hey, I just needed a place to come. It's like, awesome. Welcome. We've, you know, we've had people living with us for most of our marriage. We've that are not in our family. We've had, uh, you know, we've run alpha court. We've just done all sorts of things to try to grant people access to our life. Not because we're perfect far from it, but because we're, we're striving. We're going for it. We um, and we are willing to acknowledge both the good and the not so good. And and we where we've seen some of the most fruit from that is actually just in our neighbors, where people who are all over the place in a religious context, who have all sorts of different understandings of marriage and family life. I mean, we are a very confusing but alluring uh, family in the neighborhood. People are simultaneously like, who are these people? And simultaneously, but, but man, there's something, there's something there, you know, and <clears throat> that gives us the access as we build trust and friendship and everything to talk about what that something there is. You know, I, I'm not waiting per se for somebody to ask me about it. I want to be able to use my words <laughs> and share with what's going on. But yeah, I think there's, um, there's a certain way where uh, Christians are remarkably good at kind of disguising our Christianity or hiding or kind of not letting people into the reality of what's going on in our hearts and our minds and our lives and just kind of hoping people will like naturally pick up on it. And, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't, that that, that doesn't happen very often. And especially something with marriage is it's such a generational thing. It's such a thing that needs to adults need to form in children in the next way that they there's in and even something like flirting flirting is not something uh like in my experience flirting is something that really needs to be taught it needs to be modeled it needs to be acknowledged as a real thing and, and whether or not you like the word flirting or courting or wooing uh whatever it is there that's something that is um that is passed down and is again bestowed in our culture, we just don't pass a lot of things down and we don't really bestow a lot of things. We either just hope it kind of happens or we're passing down the, the wrong things, uh, the, the wrong types of models that we've now been talking about. Yeah. You have a face like you're, you want to wrap up because it's like time, but I don't know how long he can actually stay so we can check with him. <laughs> Well, we, we, we might just have to do another episode. We could Let's, do another we episode. We got to come back and talk all just just about flirting and dating and all that because we didn't even touch didn't. on that. But that, yeah, I think that, that's. I still have plenty of hot takes for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely flirting like a disciple. Um, I don't know if this would be possible, but it would be super fun to have you bring your wife and you guys can demonstrate with each other. <laughs> no, you want? Okay, a little little role play flirting here. Yeah, yeah. 
yeah now we're now we're now we're really going off the rails joseph this yeah. is fun i like it yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it could uh, go well it well, could this is a super fun conversation i would love to have more conversations yeah all kinds of things I'm in. cool awesome well any other last things you want to share or last thoughts before we wrap it up is there anything you would like to plug or any way that people can like check you out <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh yeah if they'd like anyone would like more information about what we're doing with renewal ministries and uh you can just go to renewalministries.net we have several podcasts ourselves and different things that i think would be a blessing to people i just wrote a booklet Ooh. that uh the first copy's free if anybody wants it it's called what must i do to be saved um it's all about salvation and what jesus actually says about salvation oh, cool. and uh yeah but i i mean this is super fun and if the opportunity arises to do it again, I would make it a priority. So hopefully the, hopefully the audience enjoyed it as much as we did, because I, I enjoyed it. Um, but there's still lots that we could unpack. Yeah, love it. Me too. Would you close us in prayer, Pete? Will do. That'd be great. My Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we love you and we praise you and we thank you and we bless you. And we glorify you. And we worship you, Lord Jesus. We thank you for the gift of our lives. We thank you for the gift of our sexuality. We thank you for the gift of other people's lives. And we thank you for the great gift of marriage and that wonderful, confusing, mysterious, awesome, potent vocation. Lord, we just pray right now, Joseph, Crystal, and I, for everyone who's listening, that wherever they are in their walk, in their vocational life, they would first and foremost encounter you today in a new and more powerful way, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them, that their hearts would burn with love for you as they learn to love others. Amen. Amen. In the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. From our outpost to yours, thanks for listening. And a special thanks to John Mark Skoke. That's S-K-O-C-H. For the music. Check him out on Spotify. 